Welcome to the Riverwood Chapel podcast. We're so excited you're here. Please check out our other content and video uploads at riverwoodchapel.org. Thank you. Good morning, Riverwood. It's good to see you as we examine God's word together. My wife and I, we are watching uh, The Amazing Race. Anybody uh, into that show, The Amazing Race? Anyone? Anyone? A couple people? Uh, The premise is very, very simple. You have uh, pairs of people who are racing against each other to get from point A to point B. And the places from point A to point B are very exotic. It's it's a fabulous show to to see different cultures and parts of the globe that we never really get to see. Uh, This past season, they were in the country of Jordan, in the ancient city of Petra, and just to see the culture and what it looks like, it was really, really fascinating. All right, so along with um, the geography of the race, there's also these moments where you get detours and, and, and challenges that you have to accomplish, and many times they are wrapped around memorization, that's the part that's always like really hard to, to watch. Like you must memorize all of this stuff before you can move on. And it's almost like every episode has this memory challenge. And so I thought, hey, this would be a great opportunity to do a little memory challenge right here uh, on Sunday morning. And so I call this the Amazing Race Qualifier. And what's going to happen is you're going to see a picture for 10 seconds, and then it's going to disappear. And I'm going to ask you five questions. And we'll see if there is somebody in this room who can get all five of these questions correct. All right, let's see the picture. You want to see as much of it as you can in 10 seconds. Details, everything. The amazing race. That that was really quick. That was 10 seconds. (laughs) Can we go five more seconds on that? 10 seconds. Hmm. Yes, I see it. All right, here are the questions. Question number one, how many coffee mugs are in the picture? All right, all right, hey, hey, keep track yourself. Keep, keep, keep your answers to yourself. We'll see if you're right in the end. How many coffee mugs were in the photo? Question two, what was in the basket next to the fireplace? And if you're wondering if there was a fireplace, you're not doing well. All right, question three, What animals were on the stockings that were hung on the fireplace? All right, all right, hey, hey, hey. This is a fiery group. All right, question number four. There was a couch. How many pillows were on the couch? And then question number five. What was the color of the star on top of the tree? All right, now, bonus question, bonus question. Did you see the alpacas? Yes. Okay, good. I'm glad we saw that. All right, back to the picture. How many coffee mugs? There were two, two coffee mugs. What is in the basket next to the fireplace? There is a blanket. There is something there. You can see it there. All right, number three, what animals were on the stockings? Bert, who got that one, by the way? That's a tricky one. It's tricky. All right. Question number four, how many pillows are on the couch? One, two, three, four, five. Five pillows on the couch. And then the fifth question was a little tricky because there was not a star on the tree. It is an angel. All right, time of reckoning. Who got all five of those? Anyone? 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 People over here, very impressive. Someone over here who's lying. 
only had like two people all morning who could accomplish that. That's pretty impressive. Um, all right, so along with all of the memory stuff of the amazing race, what also is fascinating is the get into the car and now navigate yourself to the next point. And that's a huge part of the amazing race. And so you have someone who's in the back seat with a map. You have someone in the front seat who's driving, listening to the directions, and they're looking for signs. They're following each other. They're trying to figure it out. But as you watch the show, the look on the face of the people in the car there's always like a hovering question that you can see written on their face. And the question is this, are we going the right way? <laughs> I mean, they're in foreign countries. They're looking at signs and trying to read maps and are we going the right way? And that is the question we're going to ask this morning. Are you going the right way? And I'm not talking about like, hey, after the service, we're gonna go down to Kent and, no. Are you, this is a deeper, deeper question, at the level of heart and soul, are you, with your life, going the right way? We live such busy lives. We go to school nonstop. We, we have jobs. We have deadlines. We have family issues, health issues. And then you overlay that with holidays and parties and gifts and, and deadlines. And we're busy, busy, busy. But God's word wants us to slow down to ask this one question this morning. With your life, are you going the right way? And if you're 16, that's the, that's the question. If you're 66 or 86, it's the same question. Are you going the right way at a deeper level? That's where God wants to meet us this morning. He wants to come alongside ask the question, and he wants to point us to some signs. That's what I'm calling it. It's the metaphor. There are going to be road signs we're going to see in the text, and these road signs are going to say, um, are you going the right way? And there's going to be one of two responses. There's going to be either something of encouragement, like, yeah, I, I am going the right way, or there's going to be something of warning, and maybe that's what you need to hear this morning. Maybe you're going to see the road sign, and you're going to be like, Actually, I don't know if I'm going the right way. And that's, that's fine, but that's what we need to address. So may we have eyes to see and ears to hear what the Lord wants us to be confronted with from his word um, here this morning. All right, so we've been in this series. If you have your Bible, we're going to be in chapter 10, the back half of chapter 10. And we've been walking through this this series called Greater Than. Jesus Christ is greater than. That's what we've been talking about for now 14 weeks. He is the one who is greater than. All of this theology, and now these words are real, like, how, how do you connect this to our practical lives? Like, what does this look like? These are where these road signs are going to be in the text. All right, so if you have your Bible, let's see it for yourself. Chapter 10, I'm going to start reading in verse 19. There's going to be a number of road signs we'll go back and examine. Here's where, what God's word says. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, 
and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. All right, so this amazing race with God begins with his son, Jesus Christ. The writer of Hebrews has been very, very clear. For 10 chapters, we have heard that he is greater than, and then even a reminder in verses 19 and 20 and 21, this is the summary of where we have been. Jesus Christ is the one who is the final sacrifice. By his shed blood at the cross, And because of that, there's now, notice what he says, there's no need of curtains. Like that brings back imagery of the temple and the tabernacle where you had the holy of holies. There's no need for that any longer. His sacrifice was definitive. And now we have a great high priest. His name is Jesus Christ. And by faith, he invites us into a relationship. You can't miss it. He invites us into a relationship, an invitation of this good news. The good news is that we're broken people. We have sin in our hearts, and we need an answer. And the answer is Jesus Christ. And so in a very amazing race way, Jesus even says this about himself. In the Gospel of John, chapter 14, these familiar words come from the mouth of Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And nobody comes to the Father but through me. The way. It's a very directional path uh, kind of word. He is the path. He is the starting point. You cannot go anywhere beyond in this conversation unless you begin with Jesus Christ. And so, We talk about that often here at Riverwood. We have these little booklets in the seats called The Story. It tells the the good news story that we need to know. He is the one that we trust. He is our high priest. And so that is the beginning point. And now from this, we're now going to take this journey with him. And there are road signs. And that's what the rest of this time is going to be about. There's going to be four of them, four of these road signs. We're going to look at, and every time we see one, we're going to ask this question. Am I going the right way? That's what we're going to do. Simply going to ask when we see it in the text, am I going the right way? Let's see number one. They're going to be wrapped around these statements of let us. These are really the author's way of saying, uh, these are his expectations of those in the church. Let us do these things. Let's not forget these things, but let's be about these kinds of things. All right, and so road sign number one is this one, drawing near. Notice what he says in verse 22. He says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. All right, so the other day I was doing a home improvement project. My wife came to me and said, hey, the outlets by the sink in the, in the kitchen area are not working. Can you address that? Um, there's a long story there. I won't bore you with that, but the short story is I got shocked. <laughs> but I'm alive. 
Anyway, so figured all that out. Um, but here's the kind of the takeaway. When things of power are at work, our natural inclination is to step back, uh, to not get close, um, to be very, very careful, and there to be distance. But notice, when the God of all power enters into the conversation, notice what he says. He says something that's almost against our intuition. He says, I need you to draw near to me. Come, let's be together. Let's draw near, which is a very foreign concept with ancient gods. Ancient gods, you, you held back, you stayed away. Uh, they were way too powerful, and you never wanted to interact. Our God is much different. He says, I want you to draw near to me. How near? A lifetime of knowing me. There's never an end to the, the nearness. You can always keep getting closer and closer and closer. And that's what he's saying here. Let us draw near. How, how is that even possible? Because of what Christ has done. He has made it possible for us to draw near. Now, the author has already spoken like this in this letter. In chapter 4, he uses the same word. We saw this earlier. He told us how we can, the practical, like how can we get closer to God? Notice what he said. He said, let us then with confidence, here it is, draw near in chapter 4 to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. And when we studied this piece of scripture, we said, isn't it amazing? We get to enter the throne room of God. Why? Oh, because we know him. We know Jesus. He invites us in. And when we get there, we can then ask for mercy and grace and help in all of the things that we have need. We get to talk to God. And it's a beautiful thing of drawing near, of getting close. Now, in that same chapter, a few verses before, another way we draw close to him is this, his word. We said this word, in Hebrews it says, it's living. And it's, it's so much alive that it then has the ability to speak at a deeper level to our hearts. Well, how close is that? It goes to deep places. His word speaks to us and draws us near to him because this is God's heart, his word. And so the question now is really, as we see the, the road sign, is he's asking the question of the church, are you drawing near to him? And so this is very personal. Only you know the answer to this, but are you drawing closer and nearer to him? And I ask it this way, because many times, like in the day-to-day, -day, it's kind of hard to know. But what if I were to ask you this question? Are you nearer to God today than you were a year ago? Are you nearer to God today than you were two years ago? Like, is there a trajectory where his word and your time of talking to him have grown, where you are drawing closer and closer to him? Now, if his word really doesn't really matter to you, if spending time talking to him is really a waste of time, then this is where this becomes a warning sign because maybe if he's calling you to draw near and it's this way, maybe you are headed this way and you need to hear like, whoa, 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 maybe I'm missing something. 
Is his word a regular part of your life? Do you, do you miss not having his word speak into you? It, this is a conversation of nearness and relationship. And there's not a prescription like, once I read his word three times every week, then I'm good to go. No, this is about relationship and knowing him and walking with him and drawing near to him. And that's what the road sign says. Ask the question, are you drawing near? All right, that's sign number one. There's, there's going to be three more. The next one is in the next let us verse of verse 23. Notice what God's word says. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. All right, now this too is a phrase that the author has used earlier in the letter. In chapter 3, if you remember, he said it this way. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house. And then we had a long conversation about this conditional word, if. If, indeed, we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Later in chapter 3, he said it again. For we have come to share in Christ if, indeed, we hold, there's that word, our original confidence Firm to the end. And so the idea that the author is asking us to look at the road sign and saying, are you persevering? Life is hard. Many people will call it quits. And Jesus even tells a very familiar story to illustrate this. Remember, he had this story about seeds and the farmers throwing the seeds out and they land in one of four places. They either land in the great soil or they land on the road, in the rocky soil, or amongst the thorns. And if you notice that even where uh, it lands, in the rocky soil and in the thorns, there is something that sprouts, and it looks good for a moment. But then it is choked, and it doesn't last. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is saying, that... We want to be the kinds of people who are persevering. Even in the midst of dark moments. You saw Diana up here telling her story. When that happened seven years ago, I knew right where I was. It can still take me right back to that moment when I heard that news of what happened to her husband. Oh, crushing. But to see God use her story in the midst of that has been a beautiful thing. It would have been very easy to say, checking out, I'm gone. Are we holding fast? Are you? Are you there for the long haul to the finish line? Finishing well is how we said it on that week. All right, so that's two road signs. Are you heading the right way? There's a third one. It's going to get even more personal. Notice what he says in verses 24 and 25. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, in the original context of this letter, it would have been very risky for the church to meet together. For the early church had many 
persecutions. And for many of them, they saw that, I don't know if this is worth it or not. It was easier for them to form the habit, notice what it says, of not meeting. But what I want you to see in the text, this is really, really important because it was true uh, 2,000 years ago, but it's also true today for our church right here. You have to see this. And the point is this, that the point of meeting together here in church isn't about you. What? I thought it's always about me. No, this, this is not about you when we gather together. How, how do you know? I look now at the text and I'm like, let us consider how to stir up. Now he's moving these phrases in of one another. So I'm here to be a part of the church to stir up one another to love and good works. I'm here so that I can be an encouraging one another, especially as we see the day, capital D, the end, the day drawing near. It's what we heard in Acts chapter 2 in our reading of God's word. This was about the early church. What were they about? They were about the apostles' teachings and praying and fellowship and breaking bread together. And what we see over and over again in the text is that the church is not primarily a place to come and take and consume, but it's a place of giving and encouragement and serving. I'm going to say that again because it's really important because we're going to go a little bit deeper on that idea. The church is not a place to primarily take and consume, but it's about giving and serving one another. Now, let's fast forward this conversation to our American church context, and there are several points we could cover. I'm going to talk about two of them. And they're connected. And the first one is to say this, just to ask the question, are you here? Are you here, like physically here? And I was speaking at 815 directly to this camera right here and asking the very same question. Because it's very easy to stay at home and not be here. There's many people out of sheer convenience. They could be here, but they choose not to because, hey, I'm going to grab a cup of coffee and, and sit on the couch and, and watch church today. And I said very clearly, I said, if that is where you are, if there are some who can be here but choose not to be, you're going the wrong way. You're going the wrong way. I lived the painful experience of standing right here and staring at that camera during global pandemic to a room that was empty, delivering a sermon that was then produced to watch the next day. There I am at my own house, on my couch with my family, watching myself. <laughs> Talk about painful. But the most painful part of that experience wasn't what I was watching on TV. The most painful experience about that was not being together. Not being present with one another. That was the, the most painful part. 
See, church is about showing up to encourage and give something to someone. It isn't about taking and taking and taking. And so these moments we share together on Sunday mornings are very special. When those who are filled with the Holy Spirit gather together, young and old, there is something very unique about what is happening right now that will never happen in your living room. It will never happen at home. You might learn something, but the experience is like a one out of 10. Being right here in this moment, we are doing something live. I am seeing your eyes. I am seeing your reaction. I see when you're just on your phone. I see when you are sleeping. I sound like I'm Santa Claus or something. (laughs) But we are having a live interaction right now that is irreplaceable. God's people centered around God's word to hear and to be sharpened by that. You can't replicate that anywhere else. It is very, very special. And so we do church on Sunday, but in an Acts 2 way, we do church on Mondays and Tuesdays and Wednesdays and and Thursdays when we show up in one another's life. And so part two of of this conversation is, is, the first one is to ask, are you here? And really, if we ever wake up on a Sunday and ask this question, am I going to church today? You're going the wrong way to begin. You're going the wrong way. You get into the habit of not meeting when you start asking questions like that. So we show up, but when we show up, what are we doing when we show up? And that's where point two is, because in the American church, I'm going to say it really, really basic, but we have turned church into a menu where I show up for what I want. What am I going to get out of this? And I really like that men's class, and I love the women's class, and I love what you got on the menu here for children and youth, and you have a a recovery program, wonderful, all all those things on the menu. And I show up on a Sunday. I didn't like that song. I like that one. This sermon I'm hearing right now, I'm not liking. Um, And so... And so everything is about consume, consume, consume. I like, I like, I dislike. And when you start going down that path, let me just say it very clearly, you're going the wrong way. You're going, you're missing the whole point of church. Church is about showing up and seeing how you can encourage and give and be in someone's life. What do you see around you? You see messy people and people who are hurt and struggling. That's why we gather together to stir one another into love and good works. And we're encouraging one another because the, you see, that day is coming. The day is coming. And we need to ready one another. And that's the beauty of the church. Not a place to come and take and merely be consumers, but to be a place where we can give and encourage and serve one another. And so if, if you are just here to take something, if you're just a shopper of church, I will tell you flat out, you're going the wrong way. You're just going the wrong way. That should be a real warning. If church is just something on the, oh, I think I'll fit it in today, you're going the wrong way. 
All right, there's even a greater uh, quote I came across to really kind of drive this home. This is from, from Peter O'Brien. I, I told this last hour, I said, this quote you're about to see is worth the price of admission here today. This is great. This is another reason of why we gather. He says it so beautifully. The church's gathering together anticipates the final ingathering of God's people. The assembly is the earthly counterpart to the heavenly congregation of God's people. Do you see what he's saying? When we gather together, we are practicing heaven. We're practicing heaven. We're getting ready for eternity. Every time we gather, why would you not come? Because in this moment, there are young and old, various zip codes, the diversity goes on and on. And that's exactly what eternity is going to be like. And so when we show up, we're getting a taste of that. And that's a taste you can never taste at home. It won't happen. As you're sitting there in your comfy PJs having hot cocoa, you will never get a taste of eternity. That's how important these gatherings are. That's how important it is to not just show up, but to see how I can serve and be in the lives of others. And so this is the road sign. The, the road sign is very deliberate. Are we stirring up, showing up, being involved, serving others? And here's a real practical take, uh, a real challenge, that maybe there's someone in your life that you need to encourage this week. Maybe it's someone who sits near you you haven't seen in a while. How can you encourage, check in on them? How can you show up and, and show them that you love them. That's what the church is all about. Again, if you're looking at the road sign, it's pointing you in that kind of direction. Are you, are you going the right way? Are you going the wrong way? All right, so that's three signs. The fourth one is even more sobering than the first three. Notice how the writer continues in verse 26. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there, is, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people Verse 31, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. This, this fourth sign, road sign, is really kind of characterized by these two words here. Deliberately sinning. 
You see, in the original church, there was a growing problem, and the deliberate and willful rejection of what Jesus Christ had accomplished at the cross. And it manifested itself. What did it look like? It manifested itself in a population of people who didn't care what they did. I call sin? Who cares? We're covered. And he kept sinning, and it didn't, there was no conscience of that. And there was a disconnect to how offensive sin is, a contempt for what Jesus had accomplished. And so we come back around, and believe me, there have been lots of, lots of things written about these verses. I, we don't have time to get into all of it, but the takeaway is really to ask the deeper question. When we sin, because we will, when we sin, does it bother you? Does it bother you when you sin? Or are you just doing whatever you want to get ahead and whatever it takes? He's asking us, like, when we tell lies, when we look at things we shouldn't look at, when we gossip about someone, is there something inside of us that says, no, why did I do that? It's a good sign. Because if that's not there, then we're probably going the wrong way. If we don't care about sin, and we just do whatever we want, notice the kind of language he uses. We are trampling underfoot the Son of God. I don't know about you. That's a bad place to be. We are profaning the blood of the covenant. Again, not a good description. We are outraging the Holy Spirit. What are you doing with sin in your life? Again, we're not perfect. We will sin, but is there a trajectory of walking with the Lord where we are gaining victories and where we are seeing where we fall short and still need to come to the Lord? Is it, is it piercing our hearts when we do make those kinds of grievous sins, a brokenness. And if, again, if, we're, if we never feel that in our conscience, the writer is saying, warning, warning, you're going the wrong way. Four warning signs. We're seeing them all. What is catching our attention today? In the amazing race, as you run and as you race and race and race, eventually you turn the corner and you end up on a platform. And there to greet you is Phil. Phil's there and he's got a smile on his face and the people run in and they're huffing and puffing and in the back of their minds, they're always thinking, did I make it? Am I, did I just get eliminated? Because if you're the last one, you have to leave the show. Well, let me tell you, at the end of your amazing race called your life, you will end up on a platform with the God of the universe looking at you. And he's going to say one of two things to you about your amazing race. He's either going to look at you and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Or he's going to look at you and say, depart from me. I never knew you. And until then, 
we see the warning signs of walking with the Lord. May we heed these things. May we see where he is pointing us. And like I said, maybe the words of Hebrews chapter 10 are an encouragement to you. But for many, quite possibly, these might be words of warning. It's not too late. Now is the time to make sure that we are going the right way with our Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm going to pray for us. Dear Lord, we thank you for your words to us this morning. These are challenging things to digest. And I know there are some here who might have heard this for the last half hour and thought, what a waste. I pray, Lord, that we would see what you are confronting us with. Maybe it's about forsaking the gathering. Maybe it's about our own sin. Maybe it's how close we really are. I, I don't know, Lord, but I pray that you would convict and challenge your people. We, we want to go in the right way with you in step with the Spirit that is leading us as individuals and, and as a church. And so we submit ourselves to you. Help us to be honest and to see how you might be encouraging us to keep running the amazing race with you. Please, we pray all this by the power of your Son, who is our great high priest, Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen.